Would you mind standing with me in honor of God's word? This is just for the family. Um, guys, this is our last Sunday to collect the, uh, the pledges and offering. It's not the last Sunday. We would collect them anytime. Um, but we want, we want to uh, count them up. And so if you have a special gift for missionaries or you want to make a pledge, these are on the back giving table. If you haven't filled yours out and you want to, um, we're going to count them all up this week. And next week, we'll tell you how we did and where we are, and uh, we'll celebrate together. So I want to bring that to your attention. And then here we go. John chapter 8. Again, he, Jesus, stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left. With the women, the woman standing there, still standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are light. This is a safe place, Jesus. We invite you into our darkness. You don't come into darkness to condemn. You come into our darkness to set us free. Please, God, have your way in this place. Let your freedom be manifested in this place. And we will give you all the glory for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 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 You may be seated. So we are in a series called I Am. And we do, we've done I Am the Bread of Life. We've done I Am the True Vine. We have done I Am the Good Shepherd. This week, I Am the Light of of the world. What does it mean that Jesus is the light of the world? First, Jesus brought the light of the knowledge of God. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, that Jesus gives the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Jesus came to reveal the face of of God. Jesus, in the Old Testament, we get shadows, we get God's profile, we get generality. You'll never, ever be able to recognize someone by a shadow or by a profile. You need to see their face. Jesus came to reveal the true knowledge of God. In his face, we see God. John chapter 8 is the I am chapter. It, it ends with Jesus saying, before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up stones to throw at him because he was saying, I am the I am of the Old Testament. He's blaspheming. He's saying that he is God in the flesh. Here's how the chapter starts. This woman is caught in the very act of adultery. The Pharisees bring her to Jesus. They throw her down at his feet and they say, the law says that she is supposed to die. She has been caught in the act of adultery. 
And then it says that Jesus kneels down and writes in the dirt. Interesting. Jesus stands up and he says, tell you what, whoever hasn't sinned, throw the first stone. Then he stoops down and he writes a second time in the dirt. And they begin leaving one after another. Did you know that God directly only wrote twice in the Old Testament? He wrote the law by his own hand. On the mountain, it says that God wrote on those tablets. Do you know that there's only two places in the whole New Testament where Jesus wrote something? It's these two times. What's he saying? They're telling him what the law says, what the law requires. Jesus is saying, I wrote the law. Don't tell me what the law says. I know what the law demands. He was God in the flesh. He was the I am of the Old Testament. There's two more scriptures in John 8. Uh, This is verse 24. Unless you believe I am, you will die in your sins. Our modern translations translate it, I am he. Unless you believe I am he, but that's not the original. They, they do it so it's, it's more readable for us. It's more grammatically correct. But that's not what he said. He doesn't say, I am he. Unless you believe I am he. He says, unless you believe I am, you will die in your sins. Here's what he says in verse 28. When you see the Son of Man lifted up, speaking of the crucifixion, then you will know that I am and that I do nothing of my own initiative. Jesus was God in the flesh, and he revealed who God was to the human race. In the Old Testament, we've got lots of images of God's holiness. We, we know God's really holy. We know God is severe, that he is just, that he is not afraid to bring judgment. We have story after story. We start with Noah's ark. God is sorry. He made man. He wipes out the whole world except no one has family. Then we have Sodom and Gomorrah and fire and brimstone fall and destroy these two cities. Then we have his judgment on Israel who has sinned against him. The, north, it, it, the, the tribes split and so there was Israel in the north, Judah in the south, and Israel was so filled with idolatry that God and came in 722 BC and removed Israel from his presence. They never returned. Then we see his judgment on Judah, the southern kingdom. He comes to them and and sends them to Babylon for 70 years in judgment for their sin. Then we have the very troubling story of Nadab and Abihu. They're the first, they're Aaron's sons, they're the early priests. The tabernacle has just been set up and they bring strange fire into the tabernacle that God never asked for and fire comes out from heaven and kills them on the spot. I will be treated as holy by those who draw near. We have another disturbing story. They're bringing the ark into Jerusalem. David's celebrating. Everybody's dancing, but they've got it on an ox cart. They've got people guiding it that shouldn't be, and and, and, and the the oxen stumble, the cart stumbles, and Uzzah goes to steady the ark, and he dies instantly. We have God's judgment. We have God's severity. And then Jesus comes. And he reveals a different focus on on who God is. The only way that the writer of the law can say, neither do I condemn you. He wrote the law. He knows what the law says. The law says uh, adultery, death. 
you get killed for adultery. You get stoned for adultery. Now, it's supposed to be the man and the woman getting stoned, so the Pharisees are not on the up and up. They've got their own little thing going on. But the only way Jesus can say, neither do I condemn you, is if he will die in her place. It's, the, it's how he got the authority to say to her and to any one of us, neither do I condemn you because I'm willing. The, the law has to be fulfilled. God's holiness has to be fulfilled. And Jesus came to take the punishment of sin so that we could be forgiven. This is the demonstration of the love of God. 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. Whatever you're believing about God, if there's darkness in there, it's wrong. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Here's what John says. 1 John 4, 16. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. John was brought up Jewish. But he says, we have experienced something. When he says we have come to know, the word know there is by experience. It's hands-on. We have come to know something about who God is. God is filled with love. We have come to believe. We, don't just, we didn't just experience it. We now believe it. We believe it all the time, whether we're having a good day or a bad day. God loves us. God is love. The heart of God is love. Whatever other thoughts you've had, God loves us. This is who he is. Whatever motives you have assigned to God that are suspicious, get rid of them. God loves you. Everything he does, he does out of his Love out of his goodness. Whatever you think you're believing or think you're seeing or what conclusion you've come to because what life has happened, you need to start with this. God is all good and he loves you. That's where we need to start. In Jesus' name. That's the light of the knowledge of God. Jesus came to bring the light of the gospel. Listen to John chapter 12. Starting in verse 31. Now, Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? How can you say he's going to die when he's supposed to live forever? Who is this son of man? Then Jesus told them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of the light. So here is the gospel. God has judged the prince of this world. He has, through the cross, 
disarmed him of his power. Actually, they didn't even know in the Old Testament what all the darkness was and the control darkness had of this world. It's with Jesus that we find out how deep the problem is. That Satan... When he deceived Adam and Eve, he took their authority. God gave the authority to Adam and Eve. When they sinned, they gave it to Satan. Satan was the ruler, the prince of this world. Darkness controlled this world. Jesus came into the world to break the power, the hold of Satan over the human race. If you do the one-year Bible, this morning's reading was Colossians 2, 14 and 15, and it says, here's how it works. The decree that was against us, the decree about our sins, about our guilt, about our need to be punishment, was nailed to the cross. And by that, it says, he disarmed all darkness against us. He disarmed Satan of his authority over the human race. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me on heaven, which you already had as God and now on earth as the Son of Man. He won back authority for the human race through the cross. This is what it means. When he brought judgment to this world, he brought judgment to the prince of this world, and he broke his authority over the human race. So this next verse about through the cross, he says, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people all people to myself. Listen to the pulpit commentary on, these, on this verse. In these words, we learn the attraction of the cross of Christ will prove to be the mightiest and most sovereign motive ever brought to bear on the human will. And when wielded by the Holy Spirit as a revelation of the most sweeping judicial sentence that can be pronounced upon the world and on its prince. The way God is winning the world is through the love expressed on the cross. He's not forcing us by his power. He's winning us by the love that was poured out on that cross. And on that cross... Jesus won a victory for the human race. When we come into Christ, we're out of darkness, we're into light, and we fight our battles from victory, from a place of ultimate victory. Whatever we're struggling with, whatever seems to be defeating us, we know we're going to win because Jesus already won. We just need to keep getting back up. We're going to win. We're going to win. We're going to win because the victory's already won. He won it for us in Jesus' name. Point three, Jesus brings the light that leads to judgment. John 3, 19. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. No one is going to be judged because they're in darkness. No one is going to be judged because you have been in darkness or have been buried in darkness and your life has been lived in darkness and darkness has affected you and no one gets judged for that. God doesn't blame you for being born in darkness. You were just born in darkness. We were born with sin. We were born 
in a world that's filled with sin, the point of our judgment is when light comes into our darkness. When Jesus comes into our darkness, this is the point of judgment. A choice has to be made when light comes into darkness. It says here, men loved darkness and chose to stay in darkness. That is where their judgment comes from. The next verse says that the reason why they stayed in darkness is because they were afraid of being exposed. It's, it's, there's something terrifying about being exposed for what we really are. And, and this, is, this is the point of judgment. God calls us into the light. So that brings me to what happened last Sunday night. So we have had my daughter and son-in-law, Josh, and their two twin boys, 14 months old, living with us. They, they came, they're, they're missionaries in Mexico. They came for the missions conference, and my daughter Beth's getting married next week, so they, they, they're living with us for a month. And uh, so you can imagine our house during the missions conference. There, are, there were 13 different meetings I needed to be part of in the, in the missions week. We've got this... These, these boys, they're very cute, but they don't sleep much. <laughs> well, they do sleep, just not at the right hours and not together. They just, they've, they've, they're on some type of pattern where they keep us going all the time. Anyway, so we're surviving, and the whole week is about the missions conference, and there's just very little free time. It's just... We're on. We're, we're, we're going we're gonna to do this. And we're, you know, you want to be your best for the conference. And so any free moment, we're trying to just get energy to go back and, and to finish this week. So here it comes. Sunday night comes. We have our last service Sunday night. We get home. The whole week's over. It was a great missions week. And, and one of my, uh, either Josh or I, I can't remember who said it. Let's have a game of Ticket to Ride. Well, that was music to my ears. Ticket to Ride is my favorite game. We haven't, we haven't played Ticket to Ride all week long. I haven't had any free time. I am excited about this game. And so I'm, I am just thrilled. And we're, we're, we're playing this game. The four of us are playing. And um, it's go, it's, I'm just having a great game. I'm, it, we, we get to the end. We're counting up the score. I have them count all their scores first. And, and then it, I know I'm going to win this thing. And so we, we count mine, and we go all the way around. And sure enough, I'm probably 10 past the, the second-place person. It's just a sweet victory. And, well, and we, made a, we made a new rule at our house. To give a little more gravity and just a little more permanence to our victories... We now, we now write in pen, inside the box, the date, who won, and the score. And so I am literally, I've got the box open, I've got the pen in my hand, I'm literally starting to write the date, and my dear wife says these words, let's verify his tickets. Josh says, no, we can trust dad. She said, let's verify them anyway. <laughs> now, I have no fear at all. I've, I'm, I want them to verify that. I want them to see, to savor the victory of all those routes fulfilled. And, and so I, but I stop writing while she has to verify. She gets halfway through my tickets. 
And she says, you never got to Kansas City. Kansas City to Boston is 11 points, and you never got to Kansas City. I'm like, what are you talking about? I come over, oh my. I, I didn't get to take my usual route. I missed, Can- I was two away from Kansas City. Could have fulfilled it at any time. I missed Kansas City. It's 11 points, which means you've got to take away those 11, and you have to subtract the 11 instead. So it's 22 points. So I go from first to third. And I'm just, I'm just a little miffed. And here's what my dear, lovely wife says. Well, you wouldn't want to win if it was a lie. Now, I get it. It's just a game. And I'm a pastor. And I need to have a good attitude. But I'm just, I'm just distraught. And as I examine why I'm upset, I, I, I come to three, to three reasons why I'm upset. Number one, that my wife didn't trust me. That was one. She had to verify. Number two, that she was right not to trust me. And number three, and, I've, I, and I know this because I played Ticket to Ride before. I'm mad at myself for the, for the carelessness, for the presumption. You should be checking your tickets all the time to make sure. You, I just presumed, and I wasn't careful, and so I'm mad at myself. And I'm going to bed. I'm laying in bed, and I, and I have this, this thought. So, do you want to win or do you want the truth? And here's the reality. It's really about whose eyes you want to win in. Because winning before people is is a very shallow thing. You know how you win before God? By, by doing the truth. God's always about the truth. God doesn't care how bad it is. If we own the truth, you win. And God's like, he desires truth in the innermost part. And I'm just like, okay. I want to be about truth. I don't want to be about winning. I want to be about the truth. So here's the question for all of us. Because this is what it means to walk in the light. Do you prefer the uncomfortable truth or would you prefer a lie that makes you comfortable? This is, this is the matrix. The Matrix is a movie, and, and it's all about Neo, this guy that is finding out that, oh my, there's this hidden battle going on, and there's all the, 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 he's finding out the horrible truth of what's actually happening. And so he comes before Morpheus, who can explain it all, and he says, he says Neo, everybody gets a choice. There, I got two pills for you. This is a red one. This is the truth pill. If you take this one, you're going to see it. Your eyes are going to be open. You'll see the whole truth. You'll know the battle we're fighting. And this is the blue, blue pill. 
If you take this one, you're going to wake up in your bed and you're going to go back to your life as if nothing happened. You decide which pill you take. And you and I, guys, I believe this. Every one of us is going to choose whether we live in light or whether we live in darkness. Whether we choose to be comfortable and lie to ourselves or whether we courageously say, God, bring it. Bring it. Whatever, whatever is true, bring it. This is what it means to love the light. I believe we need to work at this. Loving light. I want to know the truth. Don't make me feel good. Give me, give me what is true. The worst darkness, the Bible says, is the darkness of self-righteousness. John chapter 9, 39 through 41. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind, those who are in darkness, will see. And those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? They're the spiritual leaders. Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Being in darkness does not condemn you. It is when you've chosen to say, I'm not in darkness, that I see that you become blind to God's truth. The most important part of the bridge illustration, well, the bridge illustration is something that we share to help people understand what the gospel is. There's, there's, there's two crucial times in the bridge illustration. The first one is when we start out with diagnostic questions. Do you believe if you died today, you'd go to heaven? And people say whether they think they would or not. And then the second question is, what would you say to God? If he said, why should I let you into heaven? And oftentimes, people's response reveals what they're trusting in. I'm, I've been good. I'm moral, I'm religious, I've taught Sunday school, I keep the Ten Commandments, I'm no worse than the next guy. All kinds of stuff about what we've done. Then I have to ask this question. Well, okay, I totally understand that that answer because I've had that answer. But the Bible gives a very, very different way that people go to heaven. Would you like to see what the Bible says. And even if people aren't ready to accept it, oftentimes they're interested in, yeah, let's see it. Go ahead, draw it out. And the way God has made, um, what the bridge shows is how, how far people fall short. No matter how good people are, no matter how religious they are, no matter how moral they are, no matter good deeds, we're all far short of the holiness of God. The answer to our sin problem isn't with us, it's with God. Jesus had to come. Jesus had to die. The I am had to take on flesh and die in our place. This is the only way that we can come back to God. But you have to own your own, that your own righteousness can't take you there. Here's Isaiah 50, 10 and 11. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys his servant? If you are walking in darkness without a ray of light, 
Trust in the Lord and rely on your God. Now listen to this. But watch out. You who live in your own light and warm yourselves by your own fires. This is the reward you will receive from me. You will fall down in great torment. When you and I create our own light, our own way, our own philosophy, this is how I think it should be. This is who I think should go to heaven. This is how I, I, I'm a good person. I'm a moral person. I'm, and we, we cling to our own light. We make our own fire of how we think it should be, how we've reasoned it should be. The end of that way is going to be darkness because it is darkness. God has made Away. Jesus has brought light into this world. It is the light that we must respond to. When we make our own fire, when we've got our own philosophy, when we got our own way, the end of that way is going to be torment. Here's what Jesus said Throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When we reject, God's righteousness, when we reject God's light and choose to stay in our own darkness and make our own little fire, the end of that way is going to be darkness. We're going to get what we chose. We're going to end up in darkness. And it's interesting in Matthew 25, Jesus says the, the place we get assigned to was not made for us. There is no place prepared for your uh, punishment. It says, he has to say to those on the, on the left, go to the place that was prepared for Satan and his angels. You have to join Satan and his angels in the place of punishment because what was designed for you was heaven. What was designed for you was forgiveness. What was designed for you was light. But we have to choose light in a world of darkness to end up in that place. So here's what God does for those who are self-assured. Those who have made their own fire and are sure they're right, because there's lots of them in, the, in America, I'll tell you that right now. Here's the gift of God. So there's this guy in the first century named Saul of Tarsus. He's had a great upbringing. He's very educated. He has become a Pharisee, and not just a Pharisee. He's trained under one of the top guys, Gamaliel. So he's the Pharisee of Pharisees, and he is so sure he's right. He's so convinced of his own righteousness that he starts persecuting Christians. He oversees the martyrdom of Stephen. He, he gets letters from the Sanhedrin to take this on the road and start punishing and, and rejecting and coming against Christians everywhere where they are and imprisoning them. He's so sure he's right. And God in his great love meets him with such overwhelming light that he goes physically blind and is knocked to the ground. And he's completely confused. Who are you? What is this? And he says, I am Jesus. You have been persecuting me. What do you want me to do, Lord? And he gives him some instructions. He's blind for three days. The reason why he was blind was so he could start seeing. The reason why his world got shook up and his self-assurance got shook up was because the love of God wanted him to be able to see. 
And he became, of course, the Apostle Paul, the greatest proponent of Christianity of all time. We all know people that are so self-assured. They're so sure they're right. They're so sure their way is right. They're so, so sure everybody else is wrong. Listen, God's able to knock them off their horse. God's able to send a light that is so strong that it breaks their self-assurance. This is the love of God. He wants us all to find him. He's drawing us all to himself through the cross. Last point. Jesus multiplies his light through us. That that last passage in in chapter 12 there was, um, walk in the light, follow the light, and I will make you children of the light. One of the greatest stories in history is Les Miserables. It's about, it's about the early 1800s, right after the French Revolution, and, and they, are, they are, are punishing every crime inordinately, and it's, about, it's a story of Jean Valjean. And he, as a young teenage kid, he steals a loaf of bread because his, his family is starving to death. And he is caught, and he's imprisoned for many years for stealing that loaf of bread. There's no mercy. It's all justice. And after he has served his punishment, after he's served his term, he gets released, but he's got this letter. His his papers say that he's a convicted criminal, and so he's carrying this around. So no no one will welcome him. No one will employ him. He is trapped in this, and he's just bitter because of everything that's happened to him and that his future is so bleak because of the sentence written over him. And he not, he's going house to house being rejected and he comes to a house and it's the house of a priest and this priest welcomes him in, welcomes him to his table, says, we, we want to give you a place to sleep. And that night, while everybody's sleeping, he sneaks into the dining room and steals all of the silverware that's made of silver and fills it with a bag. And, and this, this priest who's shown him such kindness, he robs. And he runs out and gets out of the house. And, uh, and the next morning, the police have, have found him. And they bring Jean Valjean back to the, the priest. And they are anxious to apply justice and get him back in prison where he belongs. And, and so there he is. He's, he's thrown before him, and we've got him. He's been caught in the act of stealing. And the priest says this to the police. You've got it all wrong. He says, I wanted him to have that silverware. In fact, Jean Valjean, if you would have waited a little longer... We have these silver candlesticks that we also wanted you to have. And he gives them these candlesticks. And the police are confused, and they're like, what? And they realize there's no crime here. And so they back away, and it's just the priest and Jean Valjean. Here's what the priest says to him. I've purchased your soul for God. This act of mercy has purchased you for God. And he goes out from that place and becomes the most merciful, 
beautiful, kindest, most loving leader. He becomes a leader and the story goes from there. This is the story of that woman caught in the act of adultery. It's the same story. It's Jesus saying, where are your accusers? There's none, Lord. Jesus says, listen, I'm not condemning you. I'm dying for you instead. Now, go out and don't sin anymore. Go out and live in the light. Now go out and be a child of light. Go out and spread the light that has come into your heart through this act of mercy. Be light. You've experienced the light. Now go out and be light wherever you go. So the week of our missions conference, our missionaries shared stories, and one of the guidelines was from the missions committees, we want you to share difficulties. We want you to share pain. We want to know that you're, that you're one of us. And they did not hold back. One of the ladies, missionary wife, shared about her upbringing. She had two sisters and 10 older brothers. One of her older brothers started abusing her sexually when she was a young girl. And she reported him to her mom. And her mom wouldn't believe her. She said, you're a liar. He'd never do that. She turned 16 years old. He came for her. She met him with a broomstick. And she said, no more. It's not happening again. He starts beating him. It's not going to happen again. And sure enough, it stopped after that. She got out of high school, made some bad choices from, from all of the scars and wounds, and, and then she got saved. And then she married her husband, and then they got called to the mission field. She says this to us. My brother died a few years ago and I had forgiven him and I had prayed for him and he got saved before he died. He repented before he died and got saved. And then she looks at all of us and she says, please forgive. She said, I I held on to this for so many. She said, I lost so many years. So many years that I could have lived for Jesus. So many years that I could have been fruitful for Jesus. So many years. And I allowed this darkness to stay in. I, I, I kept this thing close because it was my hurt. It was my wound. And instead of turning him over to God and letting God judge him and God be the judge. And I was his judge and I held this on. And she, she begged us. Please don't, if that's you, if you've got an injustice, if you've got something that's happened to you, please don't waste years. Come into the light. Give the dark things that were done to you, dark things you've done, give them to Jesus. Jesus says it this way in John 9, verse 2. We must work the works of light while it's still day. Because dark, the, the, the night is coming and then no man can work. No man can work. There's a day coming when, when judgment comes, it's too late. 
Jesus said, we, we need to be about light now. We need to be involved in the work of light now. We need to walk in the light now. This is the hope of the world. Light is multiplied, guys. When Christians rise above all of the injustice, all of the wrongs, all of the immorality, all of the stuff, and we start walking in the light. Paul says, don't return evil for evil. Overcome evil with good. So I want to read a verse to you. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Unveiled simply means this, that God has removed the veil of his pre- that kept s- sinful humanity from his presence. When Jesus died on the cross, it says the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. Paul says in Hebrews 10 that it was when it was his flesh was torn and it, it made a way for us to live in the presence of God. And as we behold him, as we contemplate his presence, his truth, his beauty, as we behold him, we are transformed. I, here's how I like to think about it. We are God's glow balls. A glow ball is not a source of light. Nor is it a mirror that reflects light. The properties of a glow ball is that it absorbs light. You expose a glow ball to a light source and it will start absorbing light. And then you take that ball and you bring it into darkness and it seems like a source of light. It will light up the room. It will, it will burn in the, in the darkness. And this is how you and I have been created. This is the highest reason we've been created, to be in union with God, to absorb his glory. We, as we behold him, as we sit before him, as we stand before him, as we live our lives before his grace, we absorb that light and we're transformed from glory to greater glory, to increasing glory. Friends, this is the hope of America, that the church will spend more time beholding And allowing that light to come so that when we go into the world, we shine brightly in the darkness and we bring hope to this world. So I usually stand in the back during the worship so that I can slip out and use the bathroom one time before I get up here to preach because I pray for people for a long time afterwards. So I stand in the back, and it's right at the end of worship today. Just, just, this just happened. And a, a lady came down out of the balcony. She's not on the prophetic team, but God gave her a vision during worship. And she's, she, she says, Pastor Tom, what God showed me is this is a charging station. That we are as we are gathered in his presence, as we're gathered together, that he is charging us. And he wants us to know that whatever calling we have, 
that we carry his charge. Whether And she said, if you're a, a used car salesman, you are out there, but you're carrying the light. You're carrying God's light wherever you go. She said, if, 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 you're, if you work at the front desk, you're doing more than at the front desk. You're carrying the light of God. You, you've been charged for a purpose so that we're, we're, we're the ones that are giving hope. We're the ones that are giving light. We're the ones that are, are showing the world by just being there. But the key to this thing is us beholding. How many know we live in a distracted culture? <laughs> it's very hard to behold in a, in a distracted culture because there's something happening all the time. And there's something, something uh, cell phones going off. Uh, we got a message coming. got the kids crying. We've got groceries we've got to get. It's just very hard to behold. It's very hard for, especially for Americans, to take time to behold and allow God's light to be absorbed in ourselves. So I wrote a devotional. It's called Pray 132. For the sake of efficiency, I'm just going to read it to you. It went out this morning. The verse is from Psalm 132, 4 and 5, and it's David, and he says this. I will allow no sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids till I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling for the mighty one of Jacob. And here's the comments I made. Since City Church began in 2010, we have had something called Pray 130 four times a year. What it involves is people signing up for one or two hour shifts in our prayer room so that the church can pray 130 straight hours from 8 a.m. Monday morning to 6 p.m. Saturday evening. We are called to be a house of prayer by Jesus, so this has been one expression of answering that call. The most difficult hours to fill have been midnight to 6 a.m., because it involves messing up people's sleep schedule. In Psalm 132, David is so passionate about being a dwelling place for God, he makes a vow to pay any price for God's presence, including losing sleep. Later in this psalm, we get God's response to David's heart. The Lord has sworn to David, that's verse 11, followed by a number of blessings that God is going to pour out because of his pleasure in David's heart. God says he will put David's sons on his throne forever, verse 12. He will abundantly bless provision, verse 15. He will clothe the priests with salvation and all the godly ones with joy, verse 16. And he promises that David will shine while all his enemies will be clothed with shame, verse 18. When we aim for the right thing, God responds to our response to him. And we see the extravagance of his grace poured out on our lives and on our world. Our leadership has felt God calling us to pursue his presence with more passion. We've extended Pray 130 to Pray 132, and we are now going to begin it on Sunday night at 6 p.m. and have it run through Saturday morning at 6 a.m., and we're scheduling more time for us to be in his presence together. The first Pray 132 will begin at 6 p.m. Sunday, uh, October 20th, with a two-hour meeting in the sanctuary called Worship and Waiting. Then we will move downstairs to the family room for another meeting from 8 p.m. till midnight called The Night Watch. 
This will involve two different worship teams and different prayer leaders as we watch together to see all God wants to do and pray through us. Our pastors are so committed to this that we have 10 pastors here. They are so committed to this that we will be the first to sign up for two-hour shifts during the week between midnight and 6 a.m. In addition, the whole team to being at the 6 p.m. to midnight meetings on the 20th. As a church, we want to express a similar passion as David did to our God. Even if it costs me sleep and messes up my schedule, I want to contend for more of your presence on this earth. The church is not just called to say no to darkness. We're called to rise up and say yes to the light of his glorious presence. And it ends with Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth. And thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you. And his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Have a great week, Pastor Tom. P.S. I hope you will be part of the Pray 132 by either coming to worship and waiting, coming to the night watch, or by signing up for an hour or two in the prayer room. Could we bow our heads for a moment? Maybe you are here and you've been walking in your own light, your own plan, your own zeal, your own opinions, your own philosophies. And God has been dealing with it. He's been shaking things up. He's, you're less sure of yourself than you used to be. And, and, and God is, is saying, I'm knocking at your door. I want you to give up your self-righteousness. I want to be your righteousness. I died for you. I love you. I want you to come into my light. That might be you. Here's the second group. Before we came this morning, we have a prayer meeting at 8 a.m., and during that prayer meeting, I had a vision. I'm not going to call it a vision, a picture. It was a miner that was going through this cave, intricate cave. It was like a maze, and it just kept getting darker and darker and darker. And all the way in to this deep darkness, the light shined on a, on a person. And what the Lord was saying is that that Jesus is going after somebody in darkness. And your darkness is so complicated and deep and you've been there for so long. You think that you're excluded. You think there's not a place for you. And Jesus wants to correct that. No, I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you in darkness. He's shining his light. I see you. I see where you are. And here's all he's asking of you. Take my hand and I will walk us out of darkness. All you have to do, you don't have to figure out the complication of darkness. You don't have to figure out the maze. Take my hand, and I will walk you out of darkness. Jesus is standing at the door, knocking. Take my hand. So if either one of those are you, we have every head bowed and every eyeglass is between you and God. The reason why I have people raise their hands, somebody help me open my door, and I like to pray to help people open their door. So if that's you, either you want to give God that self-righteousness or you're the person that that's, has been in deep, complicated darkness without a way out, if either of those are you, would you just raise your hand real high right now long enough for me to see it? I see that and 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 that. 
You can put all of those. I see that up in the balcony. You can put that down. Anybody else by upraised hand, you want to be part of this prayer? Going, got you. God bless you. Anybody else by upraised hand? We're going to pray in just a moment. Okay. I got you over here. God bless you. Would you just slip your hand over your heart right now and pray? Use your own words, but something like this. Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you that you've always loved me. Your motives towards me have always been good. Lord, I hear you knocking today, and right now, I want to open up my door by faith. Please, God, come in. Bring your light. Save me. Jesus, be my Savior. Be my Lord. Be my light. I give you my life. I take your hand. Now, Lord, walk me. Walk me out of darkness. Walk me out of what I've made into what you want. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, could we stand to our feet together? Second prayer is for God's globals. God wants to touch us with a little bit of glory this morning. If you want to contemplate his glory, you want to close your eyes so you can see with your heart. Would you just open your arms like this? Close your eyes. I want to pray for us. Now here's the word of the Lord. Here's the word of the Lord. Rise and shine. Your light has come. Not all light, not the light, your light. You need to personalize it. Jesus came for you. He loves you. Your light has come. Arise. Yes, deep darkness is on the people, but the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. I break every identity in darkness. You are not your sin. You are not your past. You are not your shame. That is not who you are. That is darkness. God said, rise up. Rise up. Rise up. I love you. I love you. I want you to walk in my light. I want you to walk with me. Rise up. Darkness doesn't have you. That is a lie. Rise up. Your, your light has come. Father, in Jesus' name, reveal redemption over your precious people. God, thank you. We don't have to hide. We don't have to pretend. Go ahead. Convict us. Go ahead. Wash us. And then lift us, Jesus. Lift us, Jesus. Lord, deep darkness is on the people, and we know that. We hear the voices. We hear the news. We hear all the darkness, and everybody's looking at everybody else's darkness and saying they're more dark than we are. Lord, would you get our eyes off the darkness? Would you get our, our eyes off of everything that's dark and let our lift our eyes up? Jesus, fill us right now with your glory. Transform us. We absorb your light. We absorb your presence. We absorb your goodness. We absorb your love. Lord, this is your charging station. Charge us up, Jesus. Renew our batteries, Jesus. Charge us. And then, Father, I pray for the ease of heaven as we carry your light everywhere we go. God, thank you for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name.